Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number four of the SmackDown Wind Down, recapping the highs and lows from Friday Night SmackDown on Fox. I'm your host and humble guide, Kila Cash. Thank you so much for joining me as week number four of the Rust of Topia Network is officially in the books, and you decided to get your weekend started right with me by winding down morning, noon, or night. So thank you so much for the listen and the download. It truly means a lot. And we're on this journey together as the road to not WrestleMania, not even Elimination Chamber, but the road to Super Showdown winds to a close. Yes, Super Showdown, a pointless show will be airing live at 12 o'clock noon Eastern this upcoming Thursday, February 27th on the WWE Network from Saudi Arabia. Aren't you excited? Can you, can't you sense my excitement from here? It's palpable, I tell you, but um, I'm not going to be reviewing the show. I'm not going to be looking at the show. I'll be reading the results because quite frankly, I've learned over the past couple of years that every show that WWE promotes as a major pay-per-view on their network is sometimes a glorified house show for that particular market in the world. And I'm not trying to get into that political firestorm. So I'm staying away from the mess, reading it online, and I'll be happy to recap the fallout during next week's episode of The Wind Down right here on the WST Network as we recap Friday Night Smackdown together. And if you missed anything from this past week regarding Raw, NXT, AW Dynamite, and Friday Night Smackdown from last week, feel free to download past episodes on your favorite podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn plus Amazon Alexa. Search Rustoptopia, subscribe, and download today so you can listen anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. All right, let's get things started with an eight-man tag team match featuring the New Day and the Usos teaming up against the team of Robert Roode, Dolph Ziggler, The Miz, and John Morrison. This was a very good match, but unfortunately, the same players are doing the same old match and the fans are eating it up, but there are not a lot of high stakes involved. And even the outcome did not involve the opponents for the SmackDown Tag Team Championship at Super Showdown this upcoming Thursday, as the Usos picked up the win on Robert Roode when Jay super kicked him and laid him out for the one, two, three. I did like the interactions between Miz and Morrison and Kofi Kingston and Big E. Kofi did a lot of selling during the match, made the hot tag to Big E, and he cleaned house, loved his interactions with Miz and John Morrison. And then a super kick party broke out at the end with the Usos laying everyone out, which led to the finish. Once again, a fine match, a lot of the same players in the same spot spinning their wheels. And we even had a tease of the Usos challenging the New Day to become seven-time champions to be the equivalent of the New Day's record at some point in the near future. Now, granted, they had a fantastic feud a couple of years ago, but it's been a couple of years and we need fresh tag teams on both Raw and SmackDown. Both divisions are light and that rule can also apply to NXT. So they need to definitely develop a tag team division besides the seasoned vets that have won the championships on multiple occasions. I love the New Day. I love the Usos, but we need some fresh blood in every division for the tag teams in WWE. And that same rule applies 
for the women's divisions as well regarding the tag team scene. So that is one area that WWE Creative definitely needs to work on in terms of presenting a tag team division for Raw, SmackDown, and NXT that is thriving with legit contenders and fresh feuds weekend and week out that don't burn out quickly and keep the fans attentive from beginning to end. Love Hurts. That pretty much sums up the Otis and Mandy Rose story. Last week, Otis got his heart smashed on Valentine's Day, the most romantic night of the year, when he saw Mandy Rose cozying up to Dolph Ziggler as they shared a little bit of the bubbly while Otis stood there heartbroken when he dropped his dozen roses on the floor and walked out in a sad state of affairs. Backstage, we saw Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville talking and Tucker, Tucky came out there and talked to them about how Mandy hurt Otis. He can't even leave his hotel room. He fixed his hair, got a new outfit, got some new underwear. The fans popped for that line, only for Mandy to break his heart because of a text message malfunction. And Mandy Rose looked confused, like text messaging? Hmm, sounds like someone played a trick on Otis. Somebody has a burner phone and set him up big time by causing him to be a little bit late to dinner, which led to Dolph Ziggler coming in at the opportune time to ruin their date. So Tucker walks away and Mandy Rose is feeling all, you know, guilty, but Sonya says, hey, you're not interested in Otis. He's not your type. Dolph Ziggler's your kind of guy, right? And Manny says, yeah, you're right. But she was still very unsure of herself. Later in the show, Mandy was heading out of the arena and Dolph says, hey, you want to catch a ride with me? And she says, sure. And in the final shot emerged Otis from the shadows looking like absolute hell Sad, depressed, once again, seeing his peach walk out the door with that cock-blocking son of a bitch, Dolph Ziggler. And here endeth the latest chapter of this love story gone horribly wrong. I love it, but now we have the mystery of the text message. Who sent it? Whose phone did they use? Was it a burner phone? We simply do not know. I smell a rat. It could be Dolph Ziggler. Could be Sonya Deville, and dare I say, it could be Tucky. It's always the people you least expect that will just cock a block a relationship to no end. So I love this storyline. It has many layers to it, many suspects in terms of who sent that text message and threw Otis off the time of his date. So that is going to be an interesting mystery that will unfold in the weeks to come that would really culminate perfectly at WrestleMania if WWE had the due diligence and patience to wait that long. Once again, everyone played their parts well, and I am intrigued by the storyline still, and I need Otis at some point in the very near future to kick Dolph Ziggler's ass. Can he do that for me? The dude is walking around with his girl potentially and just doing the most. He needs to man up and handle his business. Whoop that ass with zero regrets and zero fucks. Just saying. Moving on to a match, I had zero. Can I say it in Spanish? Settle. Interesting initially, but it turned into a pretty fun, garbage, hardcore match. I'm talking about the second ever Symphony of Destruction featuring... Braun Strowman and Elias teaming up together. And the irony is they were opponents 
for the first Symphony of Destruction a couple of years ago on Raw versus Cesaro and former IC champion Shinsuke Nakamura. Like I said, I had no interest in this match going into the show, but they turned it around due to the work and creativity and the bumps they took, especially Nakamura, towards the end. But my two highlights were Braun Strowman getting suplexed on a super base by Cesaro and Nakamura and Nakamura using, and I had to Google this to be sure I had the accurate description of the thing you hit the gong with. It's called a gong percussion mallet, yay me. Thank you, Google. And he used it as nunchucks before swinging at Elias. I loved that moment. Shinsuke Nakamura is a gift to this world. And I love how Elias dodged the nunchuck shots with the mallet only to get kicked with the knee. And when Nakamura went for the Kinshasa, he Kinshasa the gong in another amazing spot. But the closing moments of this match was insane. We had Cesaro on a table, Elias ready to drop him with the elbow. Nakamura causes a distraction on the top rope. Strowman gets back up from the base drop, lays out Nakamura, flip him over the announce table, and then he delivers the power slam, a running power slam on a piano when Elias dropped down the elbow on Cesaro. That allowed Strowman to pick up the win of Nakamura and he ate that landing. That landing was sick. Shinsuke suffered some kind of head laceration after the match was over and was tended to by medical personnel that came from the back. And that was a sick bump. That was the sickest bump I've seen in the past six days. Not counting Tegan Knox taking a bump on a table that did not break at TakeOver Portland during the closing moments of her match against Dakota Kai and that insane street fight thanks to Raquel Gonzalez interfering at the end. And here we go to end the week. Nakamura eating a piano bump in a way I've never seen it before and hopefully never see it again. Garbage matches should not result in serious injuries and hopefully Nakamura is okay. A lot of bells have been rung in WWE recently regarding head injuries, and I don't need another one added to the list. But overall, despite the scary ending, this turned into a pretty fun match that had me underwhelmed going in, but over-delivered in the end. The latest inductees for the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2020 are the Bella Twins. Nikki and Brie got the nod doing a Moment of Bliss segment with Alexa Bliss to kick off the second hour of the show. I am happy for the twins. They're pregnant, not with twins, but they are pregnant at the exact same time, a week and a half apart. I'm happy for the new additions to their families and getting into the WWE Hall of Fame this coming April and Tampa Bay. I know the Bellas catch a lot of shit on social media, but I really respect their hustle for the past seven or so years coming back for a second run in WWE and really proving their worth this time around. And we have to think honestly to ourselves. Before 2015, before 2016, when sizable change happened in the women's division, the ladies were given two minutes for a match. There was no sense of character development. There was no depth. There was nothing there. And they were given scraps. And we can hear conversations from Melina to Michelle McCool saying, 
Don't work like the men, work like girls, whatever that was supposed to mean. So you can even go out and have a competitive match because God forbid, <laughs> don't do it like the boys, do it girly style, whatever that is supposed to mean as well. So when you're in that environment of not being able to do what you wanna do and have the storylines to really justify your purpose of being on the show, it can be very difficult to cut through the noise and make an impact. And they came back in 2013, specifically for the purpose of launching Total Divas on the E! Network, which is still on the air to this day, and their spinoff Total Bellas going to season five in April as well. So they did a lot of work to get the women over on TV, both in a reality setting base and on television for that matter. And yes, the execution of gelling those two worlds together were very messy, but at least the effort was there and they got more time to shine. And they got better in the ring as well, specifically Nikki Bella. She became a very solid wrestler and I liked how she had a nice finality to her career on SmackDown three years ago and at Evolution against Ronda Rousey a year and a half ago. So I'm not gonna begrudge or besmirch to quote William Regal their spot in the WWE Hall of Fame. For the time they were in WWE during their initial run, they had to make shit into sugar. And sometimes it still smelled like shit. And they came back seven years ago and things got better. But unfortunately, it took a little while longer for this evolution that is branded so much to roll around the bend. And they couldn't really reap the rewards of what they tried to build in the interim. So I'm never going to knock them for that. You make do with what you have. And they didn't have a whole lot to work with at the time. And they had their moments towards the end of their career to really go out on a note they can be satisfied with. I know injuries and pregnancies have definitely, you know, caused a wrinkle in their career aspirations in the ring, but they're killing the business game with their own fashion, beauty, and wine line, plus the podcast they do every Wednesday. I listen to that as well. Yes, I am a Bella fan. I have no shame in that at all. I like the twins. I've grown to respect them a lot and I respect a hustle game that goes according to plan. You have a life after WWE, which should be the dream and the goal for everyone in the company when you can hang up the boots and say, I have a backup plan to say I'm gonna be secure for the rest of my life and have that hustle game along the way. It's an added bonus. So congratulations to them. I'm not gonna be hating on them. That is not my intention. I celebrate success. And I know there are a lot of complaints about they went in before Victoria and Molly Holly and Sable and Miss Elizabeth. Listen, the Hall of Fame are running out of people to induct. And one of these years, we got to space some things out to get these ladies in here eventually. So sometimes waiting is actually the best because we are running out of bodies for this Hall of Fame. Triple H at this rate is gonna be a five-time inductee for being a wrestler and a member of DX and Evolution and the godfather of NXT and Vince's son-in-law. He's gonna get five rings for this is over. So by all means, let us get some time to appreciate the Bellas and then let's designate the ladies to come in when they're supposed to come in accordingly for the WWE Hall of Fame. We got time, okay? Lord willing, we got time. I use this podcast space to be positive, to be constructive with my criticism at times about things that don't work in WWE or AEW. And I try to offer solutions and not hot take. That is my intention with this podcast. But sometimes there are moments when you have to rip off the Band-Aid and just call a spade a spade, call a thing a thing, and let the chips fall where they may. And last week I had this extensive conversation about the state of the women's division on Friday Night Smackdown regarding scripting. And I stand by everything I said. But now, 
we have to focus on the in-ring. And last night, I hate to say this because I like both ladies so much in the ring, out of the ring, but Carmella and Naomi had a very bad match that was not fit for television. It was worked in slow motion. There were missed spots. There were botches. There were a lot of issues with this match and I simply did not like it in the slightest. It was a rough outing for both ladies and it hurt watching it because I wanna see both ladies succeed and win. They have talent. We saw Carmella have the best match of her life last week against Bailey, and I see Naomi have good outings as well in the past, but this was not it. I don't know what page they were wrestling on, but it was not the same one, and it was a tough go. I had high hopes for Naomi heading into WrestleMania. I still do, but the work and the ring has to get better, and the same goes for Carmella as well. It's tough to say things like this, but when you see something that bad, you can't ignore it and it has to be acknowledged. And I look at NXT and they have the deepest women's division in North America. I don't want to shortchange Japan because Japan has some pretty badass women in stardom and other independent women's promotions there as well. So I can literally call up six women right now and they would tear it up on SmackDown every single Friday night to elevate that division. And that is going to be the issue. There is a lack of depth and experience on that show that needs to be shored up. And Bailey is a saint because apparently she was the one that was the glue that held that match with Carmella together last week for that SmackDown Women's Championship because baby, it was night and day last night. This was hard to watch. We gotta get better, man. We gotta get better. I said it last week, scripted promos, that's step one, but now step two, in-ring work. Got to clean it up. Mediocrity does not fly in my zone. And last night was a, a slap in the face because I expected so much more from two ladies that can go when need be. And for the record, Naomi did win the match with a split-legged moonsault and will face Bailey for the SmackDown Women's Championship at Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia this upcoming Thursday, February 27th at high noon on the WWE Network. And this is history in the making as this will be the first women's championship match in Saudi Arabia. So both ladies should be proud of this moment, but the match tonight, it was nothing to be proud of, unfortunately. I wanna take care of a few housekeeping notes before we get to our main event segment. First off, there's been some glitchy activity on Friday Night Smackdown over the past few weeks, some visual effects creeping into the broadcast. At first I thought it was a Fox technical difficulty or something on WWE's end with the truck, but apparently a star is debuting or returning. I don't know who, I've read speculation online, I'm not gonna say anything, but it's interesting, it has my attention. That's a good thing for now. Number two, Daniel Bryan, Heath Slater had another short match. Bryan dominated the action once again, but this time around, Drew Gulak tried to coach up Heath Slater against Bryan. And I would love to see Drew Gulak and Daniel Bryan in ring tearing it up in a technical masterpiece 
that the world would just love. Drew Gulak is one of the most underrated stars in all of WWE because he can be funny, dead ass serious, and a mixture of both at the same time if you give him the opportunity to shine. He is so good and Daniel Bryan would be the perfect dance partner. It's something different and fresh and would bring out the best in Gulak and give him an opportunity on Friday nights. He's already graduated from 205 Live. At first, I initially wanted him to go back to NXT if he cannot find no loving on Friday night, but he might have hope against Daniel Bryan, one of the best technical wrestlers on the planet Earth. Also, we had Apollo Crews and Chad Gable, I'm not gonna call him Shorty G, having a little backstage dissension when they saw the promo from Sheamus talking shit about them at the pretty much dispatched of them quickly last week. And I had a little speech on the podcast describing how if they're not happy in WWE, get out as soon as their contracts expire. <laughs> Some friendly career advice coming from me. But Apollo got a little attitude with Mr. Shorty G, Chad Gable is his real name, and pretty much said, I don't need your little pep talks or your advice. I handle things my way, you handle things your way. Finally, some death from Apollo Crews, maybe some aggression and a hill turn that is desperately needed from him. And maybe Shorty G, Chad Gable, will find his gumption as well and get rid of that short shit and be the fucking Olympian he is supposed to be. He is also one of the best in the world and it would be nice to see it on a more consistent basis. And this concludes the housekeeping announcements for Friday Night Smackdown. And now it is time for our main event that I can finish talking about in literally 30 seconds or less. We had Goldberg come out, get a great innovation, calls out Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt appears in the big screen introduces members of his Firefly Funhouse, including Abby the Witch, Mercy the Buzzard, Huskis, Ramblin' Rabbit, and finally, The Fiend himself. The Fiend comes out from behind. Goldberg senses it. He spears The Fiend. The Fiend gets down on his knees. He lurches towards Goldberg. The lights go out, and The Fiend disappears as SmackDown goes off the air with Goldberg in the ring, looking sweaty and dominant, heading into their Universal Championship match at Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia this upcoming Thursday at high noon on the WWE Network. And I can tell you with certainty, I don't care about this match. The build has been very lackluster. It's an odd combination to begin with. It's a guy that doesn't sell versus a guy that doesn't sell that much either. So there's not a lot of give and take there. The dynamics are off and it doesn't read as a genuine battle between two guys that want to fight each other for a championship or any sense of grudge or angst, unfortunately. I don't expect a title change, but you never know when it comes to WWE, so keep your eyes peeled. But this segment did nothing for me. It didn't get me more excited for the show. I will give Goldberg credit for not being afraid of The Fiend. He did not cow in a corner crying like a baby. That's a positive, but the build for this match has left a lot to be desired. And that pretty much goes for this entire pay-per-view coming up on Thursday. The hype for this has not been good at all. Maybe they're downplaying it due to what happened last November with the delayed airplane not getting back to the US in time, but there is no sense of excitement for this show. And why would it be? Because WrestleMania is in April. That is the biggest show of the year. And we have Elimination Chamber right behind this meaningless show. So you're sandwiching two shows that don't mean a whole lot 
right before WrestleMania, which kind of dilutes your most important show of the entire year. So why should we get up for a show that is a glorified house show in all essence and intents and purposes? So a build that doesn't mean a whole lot. There's no effort into really marketing this as a must-see show. And this was the go-home show for this pay-per-view on Thursday. And it did not feel like a must-see show going in. And when the show went off the air, it felt even less must-see. The matches themselves should be decent, but the bill for this show and this championship match has been piss poor. On that note, this wraps up another edition of the SmackDown Wind Down, recapping the highs and lows from Friday Night SmackDown on Fox. Thank you so much for listening. I wish I could end the show on a more positive note, but SmackDown has not been doing it for me for several weeks now, and I stand by my statement of it being the weakest WWE show in the ecosystem between Raw and NXT. They are very good shows most weeks, and SmackDown has been falling flat since the beginning of the year, despite the additions of Morrison and Sheamus, among others. It's still very, very slack in terms of creative direction that I like, with a few exceptions, but we need consistency in the ring and feuds that matter that's going to drive ratings and make stars. Until that happens, this show will continue to be a slog and a chore to get through. But... I'm here for you every step of the way to make this journey easier to navigate. As always, you can follow me on social media at Lady Wrestling X. You can find me tweeting about episodes that drop on the daily and live tweeting Raw and SmackDown thoughts every Monday and Friday night at my convenience. If you missed any episodes this past week, you want to get caught up from the very beginning since the one month anniversary of the Rasta Subtopia Network is in full effect. Feel free to subscribe to your favorite podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, TuneIn plus Amazon Alexa, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher Radio. I'll be back on Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. sharp, recapping Monday Night Raw with the Raw verdict, the final Raw before Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia. Until then, have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe until Tuesday. See you later, boys and girls. Take care.